Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 again this morning. When you think of great pioneers, uh, especially the great pioneers of faith, uh, we tend to go back to the aged, don't we? Uh, when we think of pioneers in maybe American history, we think of Daniel Boone, and we think of his uh, uh, traversing and Lewis and Clark and people like that. Your mind doesn't really go to a kid, does it? It doesn't really go back to a child. But we find here in the midst of uh, the uh, faith chapter, Hebrews chapter number 11, what we find is a reference to a child that was born. Look with me, if you would, at verse 23, the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Let's just think about that for just a moment. Many parents, many grandparents, not afraid of the king's commandment. Have you ever tried to hide an infant? Let that sink in for a moment. Let's pause for just a moment and ask God to give us wisdom this morning as we dig into His Word. Father, this is one of those days that I need you. So help. Help, I pray. In your name I pray these things. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. So often, so often we dismiss the value of faith-led parenting. So often we dismiss the value of what impact we make on a generation to come. And I believe it's time for us to stop thinking only of ourselves and start thinking of the generations to come. For as long as I can remember, I have heard preachers say we are living in the last days. For as long as I can remember, I have been reading and hearing sermons of how tomorrow could be the day that the Lord returns. And I don't disagree with any of that. I don't argue with someone who says we are living in the last days. I know we're living in the last days. I don't argue with anyone who says that the Lord's return could be at any moment. I don't argue that point. But there's a part of me that really worries about the church when we are so 
enthralled with living in the last days that we quit living in the last days. There's a part of me that is bothered, honestly bothered, when we are so dedicated to the fact that the Lord is going to return at any moment's notice, that we're so busy practicing jumping when the when Gabriel blows his horn, that we forget to teach the younger generation how to occupy till he comes. We're so enamored with looking to the east, listening for Gabriel to blow his horn, that we have quit living lives of faith. For today. That's, that bothers me. I don't disagree that the Lord's return could be at any moment. I don't. I don't disagree that there's coming a time and it could be soon and very soon that we go to see the King. But if we're not cautious, we forget that what if it's not for another hundred years? What if another couple centuries go by before the return of Christ? What then? If we're so busy looking for His return and not teaching the generation to come, how to look for His return. We will fail. As I look into the passage that we have here today, you know, we need to understand that many laws, policies, practices, and the like are being implemented today because there's very little thought to the impact it will have on tomorrow. The, the world's mantra is to live in the moment and to do what feels good for now. This is the thinking of the world. God, God's thinking is on a doing what is right right now because whatever decisions that we make will impact tomorrow. And so I want to be very cautious because many times I think we get the idea that Planning for tomorrow is bad. We should only live in the present. But then we also get it sometimes in our mind, living for the present is bad. We should plan for tomorrow based on what we saw yesterday. Listen, there's a balance to all of it. And what I find here in the book of Hebrews, stuck snuck in as if it's just a little bit of a an addition to the bigger picture or the bigger story is something that many times we need to just pause and take note of. And that is simply given to us in verse 23 by faith. Moses, when he was born, was hid. Was hid. We're going to look deeper into this next week, into the life of Moses and uh, the people of Israel as they uh, pursued uh, going to the land of promise. We're going to look at that in a very large chunk. But I'd like to just stop for a minute and talk about what faith did leading up to this man's life. 
the question that I have is basically, is faith only for me and today? Or maybe a better way of saying is, how does your faith impact others? Because many times we really kind of make faith all about us. It's about my personal. It's about me. It's about what I've got going on for right now, for today. Listen to me and understand without any reservation, the statement that I want to make to you is this. Your faith does impact the rest. Whether you like to admit it or not. Well, no, no, no. My faith is about me and about my walk with the Lord and about what I've got going on. Don't forget that there are people watching you. The decisions you make, the choices you make are being observed daily, moment by moment. And the question is, how is that impacting other people? I believe that what we're seeing today, I was talking with the Sunday school teachers about this. Do you really think, think for a second, do you think it ever entered into George Washington's mind that the uh, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States would one day be deciding whether or not it was okay to kill a baby partway out of the womb? Do you really think that George Washington thought that way? No. It never entered into his mind. He never even, he, he it wouldn't have even, it was anathema to him to think something like that. Welcome to America 2021. The question of how does our faith impact others is simply based on the fact that the less faith we have today, the less faith they will have tomorrow. The more faith we have today, hopefully, the more faith they'll have tomorrow. Have you ever really thought, just for a moment, just really thought about what impact your faith plays? You know, we... We can gripe and we can moan and we can complain about all the different things that take place. We can complain about who's in office, who's not in office. We can complain about what they're asking us to do, what they're not asking us to do. But at the end of the day, what am I teaching? What am I teaching my coworkers? What am I teaching my students? What am I teaching those around me, my neighbors? my children, my grandchildren, my nieces, my nephews, my siblings, whomever it may be, what am I teaching them? Am I teaching that I have great faith in which news uh, uh, avenue I listen to or watch? Am I teaching that I have great faith in a certain political party? Am I teaching that I have great faith in a certain politician? Am I te- what am I teaching? And so when I read verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I see faith in that. I see parents of faith. And as we continue next week and we look at the life of Moses, we're going to realize something. Now, people can discuss whether or not Moses' mother told him that he was her child at an early age or later. We can discuss all that. But at the end of the day, regardless of whether he knew that woman that was raising him, that was his nursemaid, was his mother, he knew something about her faith. 
And I have a very good idea that it wasn't just her, but it was his siblings and his father impacted him in some major way because later in the years he decided, I'm going to shun living in the palace because I'd rather follow him. Think about all that he gave up. That didn't come from nowhere. He wasn't raised in, in these pagan temples to Ra and, and, and Osiris and, and going there every single uh, time there was something going on. And then all of a sudden, when he was a young man, go, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to switch teams. Something was given to him at an early age. He saw faith. I want you to take a look at a few things. Understanding that by no means is Moses the only child mentioned in Scripture as having a memorable future. We can look at John the Baptist, Isaac, Samuel, so forth and so on. Now, while there are many who followed God despite their parenting, there is no denying the impact made by those of faith in the lives of these young people. No denying it. And so let's look at a few things about faith this morning. First is that faith views relationships as gifts from God. Faith views relationships this way. Realize without any question, that, now we can look at the, uh, if we go back to the book of Exodus, and you can do this on your own time, uh, Exodus chapter 1, you can read the edict from Pharaoh. He said to, the, uh, uh, said to all the midwives, he says, it, when, when they are giving birth, if it's a boy, kill it. He didn't want the Israelites having boys. He said, kill them all. Leave them with nothing but girls. Now, this is pre-law. This is before Moses meets with God. This is before the Ten Commandments was ushered to them. But the Bible lets us know that those midwives feared God and did not obey the commandment of the king. The Bible lets us know. How did they know that God wouldn't have wanted that? Because they had the testimony of God. Go back to the book of Genesis and you see where Noah, he has built the ark. He's uh, been on, he's been afloat for many days. They come, they land. And God says, if any man sheds blood, his blood will be required. I think God values life. And even back before the law was written, they didn't need a, a, a writing saying, hey, uh, God wants you know life. He values life. He prefers life over death. God prefers this. They didn't need that in writing. They knew it. And those midwives says, uh-uh. We're not going to do what the king wants us to do. All life, catch this, all life is precious to God, and those who trust him will also have this same value of life. faith. All life is precious to God. Even the Bible tells us that God does not get excited over the death of the wicked. God does not enjoy the death of the wicked. 
He values life. Faith understands this. And so we we come to any relationship that we are given. There's no doubt that God is on the side of life. All of God's word points to this. We were reading in in Romans 13 just a little bit ago. Go, Go back there with me if you would. Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, uh, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, to love your neighbor as yourself. Understanding that the, the, the Word of God is very clear that all of the commandments of God come down to the two main ones. Jesus said it this way. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it, namely this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so as a man of faith, as a person who has placed my trust in Jesus Christ, as a person who has this relationship with God, I believe that those relationships, the the sovereign God who knew me before the moment uh, uh, that I came into this earth, he knew about me before time began, he knew he was going to put me in that woman's life. And I value that relationship. He knew before time began that I was going to have three children. And I value that relationship. I don't take it for granted. I don't take it flippantly. He knew before time began that I was going to pastor a group of people in Vienna, Ohio, when I had never even heard of Vienna, Ohio. We came up here, we said, Vienna, like the sausages. We were corrected. I was curious. When I first heard about the place, I said, is that where they make Vienna sausages? Nope. Almost said no, Pastor, because I thought Vienna sausages were going to be up here, and they aren't. I got excited, and then I said, no, okay. God knew that there was coming a day where I was going to be pastoring here, and I value every relationship. Even the ones with people who wouldn't spit on me if I was on fire. Those relationships are valuable. I don't know. Maybe while I'm on fire and they're laughing and not willing to spit on me, maybe something will come of that. I don't know. But we value life, which causes me to value the relationships that I have with each individual. Yes, pastor, I value my relationships with the people I like. What about the people when you walk in the building and you see them, you turn and go the other way? I don't want to talk to them today. I can't talk to them today. Don't want to deal with this. Do you value those relationships? Do you value their life? God values all life. Let me, well, Pastor, you've got to understand the type of person they are. You know, I value the people who respect me, but people who don't respect me, they don't get value in my eyes. Did you respect God 
before he died for you? Did you, after you came to know Christ, have you respected him every step of your life? I have not. There are things that I have done recently that was spitting in the face of my Savior. What about you? I don't sit there and look at me like a bunch of pious gas bags. You know in your heart you have not respected God completely. What if he took the same stance on valuing you that you and I take on valuing our enemies? Or maybe those who don't vote the way we vote. Or those who don't belong to the same kind of denomination we think we belong to. You see, time is precious. Do you realize you can, you can gain back any commodity. If you lose money, you can get more of it. If you lose food, you can get more of it. There's always more food to find. But you can't gain back time. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. You can't get back life. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. Look, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, some parents are like, oh, I don't ever want my kids to leave. Not me. I love my kids, man. I love my kids. I absolutely adore my kids. But I'm looking forward to the day I've got my wife all to myself. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that day. I tell my kids all the time, you're on borrowed time. I love them. I'm looking for, that's my girlfriend. They, she was here before you were here. And she's going to be here after you're gone. Even so, come Lord Jesus, right? But I will not waste the time that I have with them looking forward to when they're gone. I'm looking forward to having one-on-one -on -one time with her more but I'm going to value every second I have with them. Is that time only wrapped up in taking them to shooting or to taking them to the mall or taking them to practice? Or do I have time with them where I spend honestly investing in their life? Are they learning about the faith of their father? Or are they only hearing part of it and seeing something different? Notice this as well, that faith emboldens us to be courageous. Catch this, when I realize how precious life is and that God has entrusted me with this valuable commodity of life, I am seriously turning then to the only one who can help me. I do it in my own power and my own ability because I have not realized the brevity of the situation. I am trying to do it in my own power and my own strength and I'm trying to do it the way I think is right when I have not grasped the seriousness. Listen, please, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. 
for them to come to know Christ, I have to take it as my personal responsibility. And they are not going to hear it from the Sunday school teacher. They're not going to hear it from the youth department. They're not going to hear it from Caleb. They're not going to hear it from the radio anywhere else. They're going to hear it from my lips and mine only. I have to take that responsibility so seriously that my life may be the only Bible they ever pick up. And as I'm telling them, oh, God loves you, and, and we love God, but they see me living a different life at home. They see me living a different life with my checkbook. They see me living a different life with my schedule, and I tell them how valuable God is, but I skip church every chance I get. I put his Bible down week after week. I only pick it up and dust it off when it's Sunday morning. That is hypocrisy. And what are they learning? Do you value your relationships? Do you value what God has put in your life? Not so that you can just raise them up to be good citizens. Not to raise them up to be better Americans. But to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I believe Moses saw something in his parents. They weren't afraid. They did right by. But faith emboldens us. Imagine the risk that Amram and Jochebed took. Imagine the risk. They hid this baby for three months. Guards walking by the house and they hear a baby cry. The king wanted these midwives to kill babies. I don't think he would have held his hand back on killing them for keeping the baby. Think about it. If you've ever had tried to hide a child for any amount of time, you understand. I couldn't keep my oldest daughter quiet when we went out to eat. One of us would have to carry her around and just bounce the entire meal. People in the restaurant looking around because if we didn't do this, none of them got a pleasant experience at the, at the dinner table. Caterwauling, colicky all the time. God love her heart. I hope Moses wasn't colicky. But they weren't afraid of the, of the penalty. Looking here, we're here in Romans 13. I want you to look back at verse number 1 with me, please. Because this emboldened to, to courage is important for us to note. Look what it says in verse number 1 of chapter 13. Let every, every soul be subject unto higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained by God. Looking at that, now jump over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Jump toward the end of your Bible there, 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm about ready to give you some doctrine that most people in today's America don't want to hear. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 13. 
Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. This is not a popular passage in 2021 Christian, or in 2021 American philosophy. This is not. Because we've got our rights and we're going to make sure that everybody in the world knows we got our rights and we're going to enjoy our rights and I dare you to take them away. Right? But my Bible teaches me that Christians are to obey human law. The only caveat to that is when it violates God's law. That's it. Like it or lump it. Well, that's un-American. That's right. It's called Christian. It's called biblical. Don't misunderstand what I'm what I'm trying to tell you. Christians are to obey the laws, the only time we get to say no is when it goes against God. And we've got evidence of that as well. Go back to the book of Acts, chapter number 5. Look at Acts, chapter 5. Okay, look with me in verse uh, 24. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. This is talking about the early days of the church. Uh, verse 25, Then came one of them, saying, Behold, the men uh, whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain of the officers and brought them without violence, uh, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. When someone asks you to renounce him or to not talk about him, obey God. Listen, I, I believe with all my heart I'm living in a day where it's not going to be long before they ask me to quit preaching in Jesus' name. My socks were blessed off, even the colorful ones the other day. We were in, uh, Danielle had a, a Christmas party with her shooting team. That's right, Facebook, I said shooting team. And... Uh, 
the uh, coach goes to another church. And he prayed before we had pizza. In Jesus' name. And there's coming a time where it's going to be illegal to do that. I believe it. Going to come a time where they tell me I can I can preach certain things, but stay away from Jesus is the only way. S- stay away from the stuff that's offensive. Don't teach what this book completely says. Just teach part of it. You know, in China, they're in the process of rewriting the Bible. And you read about the woman taken in adultery in John chapter 8, and Jesus is writing, and the people are leaving. And and Jesus looks up, and he says to the woman, where are your accusers? Because there's nobody there. You know, in in China, their version that the state is putting out, she says, uh, where in our Bibles we read, she says, there's nobody here. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In their version, it says that he gets up, he hits her with rock stones and says, see, I'm a sinner too. I don't think it's going to be difficult for America to follow suit someday, folks. They're already asking us not to do certain things in Jesus' name. But understand, Moses' parents didn't just sit around stewing. They put their mind to work. And then they, what did they do? Did they, did they, everybody, everybody went and grabbed pitchforks and attacked the Pharaoh, didn't they? They hid. All big heroes, right? Hebrews 11 includes them as one of the heroes of faith. And what did they do? They did what was right. And they kept that baby alive. You see, faith causes action rather than complacency. Moses' parents didn't sit around stewing. They put their mind to work and exercised their faith. You see, faith, faith is not lazy. Faith does everything in its power. To, to, to do what is right, but then trusts with God with the results. Faith is not sitting around doing nothing. Faith is not taking everything into your hand. Faith does what the Word tells us to do, does what is right, and trusts God with the rest. Well, the Bible tells me I'm supposed to do this, so that's what I'm going to do. I don't know how that's going to help matters, but... I'm going to do it. I'm going to let God sort out the rest. Note this as well. Faith recognizes one that is higher than human rulers. You see, just as Daniel trusted God and willingly went to the lion's den, just as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah trusted God and went to the fiery furnace. Moses' parents trusted God with their baby. But there's somebody else. It's too easy, isn't it? It's almost too easy 
Look at Matthew chapter 1 with me. Matthew chapter 1, we have the generation of Jesus. We have His genealogy. But drop down to verse number 18 with me. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when, as His mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with the child, with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of uh, the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I want you to understand what what we're seeing in this. Just like over here with Moses' birth, his parents did what was right. They trusted the Lord. And now we have a guy whose wife is, is pregnant. He doesn't know how in the world she got pregnant. All he knows is, that ain't my kid. And so what he does is he takes her and he does not follow the, the traditional, the popular thing to do. Everybody else in his life was probably telling him, get rid of her. They wanted her stoned. They wanted her dead. How could she do this to their beloved Joseph? So he had to paddle upstream. He had to go against probably mom, dad, cousins, nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts. He had to go against the populace and do what was right. You see, faith is not lazy. It does all it can. But here's something else. Faith does what is right regardless of any human power and regardless of any popular opinion. It doesn't matter what the popular vote is. What matters is what is right. It doesn't matter what I think or I feel about the situation. What matters is that it was right. I mean, really. Who cares how many likes, how many thumbs up and thumbs down you're going to get on social media? Do what's right. And it's time for us to lead the future generation in knowing how to do what is right. Don't be so quick, though, to use faith as an escape to be disobedient and rebellious. Be careful. A lot of good people have taken the Word of God and twisted it for their own personal preferences. 
Let that never be said of us. When people say, deny God, don't. Stand. When people say, quit preaching that book, preach it even louder. When people say, don't use Jesus' name, let it be the only name on your lips. When people say, it's okay that you believe that, but don't say Jesus is the only way. You make it abundantly, unequivocally clear that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm not talking about your personal rights. Please don't misunderstand me. But many people want to take this and try to apply it to the wrong thing. It has nothing to do with your certain unalienable rights. You're talking American. I'm talking Christian. And we got to quit trying to connect them. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud of the fact, I'm, I'm thankful, and I thank God for the fact that I can take my kids out and shoot a gun at a target. I'm thankful for the fact that I can own one. I'm thankful for the fact that I can draw together with a group of people that they're just, they have a love for taking a, a little tiny bullet and hitting this teeny tiny target 25 feet away. I think that's awesome. But guess what? If I don't have that, I still have him. A lot of people try to equate the two. They're not equal. My personal American freedoms are not the same thing as the liberty that I enjoy in Christ. I'll take that liberty over any other liberty any day. For proof, did the apostles enjoy those liberties that we enjoy in America? Nope. Matter of fact, some of them were filleted simply for believing this book. Some were sewn up in animal skins and thrown into the Colosseum simply for believing God's Word. Simply for naming the name of Christ, some of them were dropped on spears, beheaded, They didn't enjoy the same kind of freedoms you and I enjoy today. But they remained faithful. Understand this. As we look through the past, we can very clearly see men and women uh, that God have, has used through the years to greatly shape our world. And as we look back in the past and we see those men and women who have shaped the world, we look back and we can see Moses understand this, that those the future was shaped by those who were once children. 
and our future will be shaped by those that we now call children. Is your faith preparing them to be better Americans or better Christians? Don't marry the two. We got to be careful with this. Especially those of us red-blooded Americans, right? I'm not just red-blooded, I'm red-necked American, right? I grew up in West Virginia, I can say that. I want my kids to know this book a whole lot better than they know the Constitution. I hope they know the Constitution. I want them to know the Constitution. But if they know this book, they can help fix it. If I only teach them the other, they might want to change it. We want them to know this book. Use caution in how we go about revealing these things to the future generations. However, however type of, whatever our, our influence may be, however we think that we don't influence other people, understand we do. They are watching your faith. There are people looking for an excuse and they want to see those of us who have claimed the name of Christ. They want to see us renounce that belief. They want to see us say that we believe one thing, but we live something else. They're looking for it. There are people that can't wait for the day that they can say, I have had enough with the previous generation's belief system. I have had enough of what mom and dad say they believe. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm out. Don't give it to them. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Quit disobeying this book. My heart hurts. It has nothing to do with our country. I've been heavy all morning. You're talking about a guy who loves people. I love people that hate me. I don't know how. Other than the fact that God has changed me. I used to love putting people in their place. Now I hate it. I used to look forward to opportunities when I could flex my muscle. Verbally, physically, whatever it was.
That's not Christ's way. And I absolutely love you. But I've got to ask, do we see the relationships that God has put before us as valuable? If so, we would take more seriously the way we live before them. Do you see these relationships as gifts from God? Then husband, love your wife and quit looking for an excuse to not do it. Wives, reverence your husband and quit waiting for him to deserve it. Parents, raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Bosses, be good to your, to your uh, employees. Employees, be honest with your bosses. Do you value those relationships? What about that neighbor you can't stand to see him pull in next door? Have you been much of a Samaritan to him lately? Second, is your faith creating laziness? Or is it creating action? Understand what I mean by this. Faith helps me to rest, but it does not create laziness. Since I believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, guess what? That neighbor I don't like, I now have the strength to go be loving to them. Not sit by and wait for them to die or move out. Because I believe, I get up, and I do. I am motivated to action, to pursue Him. And last, what does my life say about my faith? Do you believe that God is? And that He's the rewarder of those that diligently seek seek Him? Do you believe that? Do you believe He's just? Do you believe He's loving? Do you believe that He desires that no one perishes, but that all come to repentance? Do you believe that? Does your life... Say you believe that? Or does your life say they're not worth saving? They're not worth saying no to. 
What's your life say? Understand this. Christmas is a time where we think about giving gifts. God gave us the greatest gift of all, His Son. And through His Son, He offers to us hope, mercy, grace, peace, rest for your soul. I think it's time for us to give a gift as well. Faith. Before that kid gets that new video game system, give them faith. Before your wife gets that gift certificate to the beauty parlor, or whatever you call it today, I watch a lot of Andy Griffith. Give him faith. Before that next batch of cookies, give him faith. Well, how do I give him faith? I read this book and I live it. That's it. I know that's profound. But that's it. I quit looking for excuses to ignore this book. And I do what it calls me to do. Father, thank You for Your Son. Thank You for the wonderful gift that He was, is, it always will be. God, forgive me. Forgive me for the times that I have not lived the life that I claim to believe in. And Father, help us. Let this time of year, as we, as we look at all that's going on around us, all our friends, all our families, and we're trying to give things, we're trying to be a blessing to them, we're trying to encourage them, we're trying to... Whatever, Father, just help us to, help us to remember You. And the greatest gift that we could ever give anyone is a life of faith. Father, I, I beg You that You would move amongst us. Remove all distractions. Father, as we enter into the invitation time, let it not be something that we can't wait to be over with. But Father, let each one of us so inspect our hearts and respond to You. That nothing could be done other than obey. We pray these things, Father, for Your Son's sake. Because He so deserves our life of faith. Amen.